subtraction from our past causes us to react in moments, often to what's not even in front of us, but our prior experience. It's like when our spouse implies that we loaded the dishwasher incorrectly and the look they give us makes us feel nothing about to do with the dishwasher and everything to do with how our grandpa looked at us when we were four. It's these things we tried to put up in a box and pretend weren't there, yet they show up consistently as your fatal flaw. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show, The Determined Society. Guys, with me, I have a guest today that I have grown pretty close to and have followed and uh, gained relationship with someone who I feel is one of the most determined individuals on the face of the earth. And once you hear his story, you will truly understand why. At the age of seven, he was run over by a truck, leaving his left arm severed. And after 24 surgeries, he can truly understand how trauma in the past can hold you down here in the present day. And so we're going to get into it with my boy, Brian Bogert. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show. Sean, dude, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, man, the feelings mutual, dude. It's like I said, man, before we were uh, recording, it's just been a long time coming, you know, and I truly believe that things happen when they're supposed to. So here we are, you know, both looking as svelte and handsome as ever, and we're going to get down and dirty. So here we I love be. it, brother. I love yeah, it. That's, that's, that's what it's all about, man. It truly is, you know, it's, you know, in a life um, that moves so quickly, right? We have to embrace all the moments and in all the seasons and everything, but uh, eventually they all come around. And again, here, here we are, and we are going to provide an awesome conversation of determination and grit, right? For the audience to really consume and digest and thrive upon and, and hopefully utilize this conversation so they can get over their own things that are holding them back and you know man it's very interesting because you talk about trash scanning the can and getting rid of the trash from your past so talk to the viewers and the listeners a little bit about that yeah so i think it's really important to understand i mean i think you know there's a lot of narratives out in the world that uh people believe they're stuck because they have the wrong strategy or tactics in their life right like if i learn this new sales system if i get this new process if i invest in this new approach if i finally make a hundred thousand dollars a year if i when i get to five million dollars in my business like whatever it is it's like these external measurements and it's also these systems that we try to live in but that's never what keeps people stuck it's never what keeps people stuck they're critically important for leveraging life relationships business and health like critically important i'm, I'm a big fan of systems and processes i'm a big fan of understanding new knowledge and how to apply it but the singular thing that keeps every single one of you stuck isn't any of those things. It's the trash from your past, mm. right? It's the things that have emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, environmental conditioning that are tied to them. It's those moments that you've tried to bury, those moments that you've never talked about publicly in the world, the moments of pain, maybe, or maybe trauma, maybe not. Maybe it's just those times that you didn't feel seen and understood or connected or understood or valued in your life. And it caused you to armor and protect yourself and trash from our past causes us to react in moments often to what's not even in front of us, but our prior experience. It's like when our spouse implies that we loaded the dishwasher incorrectly and the look they give us makes us feel nothing like about to the do with the dishwasher and everything to do with how our grandpa looked at us when we were four. It's these things we've tried to put up in a box and pretend weren't there, yet they show up consistently as your fatal flaw. They show up consistently as those things that get in your way and your biggest problems. I absolutely love this because before I met you, right, and we've had these conversations, I'm always transparent. Like you've helped me more than you know, 
right? And to those of you that are watching and listening, my boy Brian here helped me understand that I was relying on external forces to create my own inner power, like different anchors, right? Secondary anchors instead of internal. And, and when he's talking about trash from our past and even something as funny as loading the dishwasher wrong, today, this happened literally before the show, right? I, I heard my wife go, ugh. And I'm like, what's up? And she goes, well, you loaded, you loaded the plate like this wrong. And that's what, how things break. <laughs> and I'm like instantly internally triggered. And it's not really about what she said, because what she said is probably right. And I remember how I loaded it. I'm not very good at Tetris in the actual dishwasher. <laughs> so I had everything kind of cockeyed and kind of squeezed in. The reality is the truth was it could have broke, but I was hearing my dad tell me I wasn't good enough. Right. Yep. And my grandpa, to be quite honest with you. So there's a lot of things to unpack here, but the one that I really want you to speak with the audience about is those secondary anchors that they are relying on and how yeah. that can deter them from their overall truth and performance. Well, yeah, I think it's important to understand some different dynamics that go into this because, um, you know, I have yet to meet a high performer in business life or sports that in some form or fashion didn't learn how to <clears throat> receive love, validation and connection through performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's it, and that can happen for a whole variety of different reasons. Right. Um, where we believe that, you know, either love is contingent on us showing up a certain way or getting A's or, right. Or that the only way we're going to connect with our friends is if we actually are the star athlete and can carry the team and have to consistently then push that envelope, or we have to say yes to so many situations just to appease the people in our lives, even though we really have no capacity to actually put more on our plate, right? Like it's yeah. all these things that we don't really acknowledge or pay attention to that are often about helping ourselves feel good, feel worthy, or feel connected outside of ourselves, right? Like we're looking for that connection, that love and that validation. And again, it comes through a whole bunch of different narratives, but the reality of it is, is whenever we are listening to the external noise, it means we're turning down our internal volume. Mm -hmm. And I just want other people to turn up your internal volume because here's the reality. We're all born as our brightest, most authentic burning light that we'll ever be. You've got kids. I've got kids. We know this, right? Like they come out, they're raw, they're real. They are just like everywhere, right? They're bundled yeah, in man. their creativity. They're like, they're just, they're just there. Right. And then what happens? Parents, teachers, employers, coaches start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't be that. You should want this. You shouldn't want that. You should make this amount of money, have this kind of house, have this kind of job, have this kind of spouse, drive this kind of car, or you're not going to be accepted and okay, right? And it starts funneling people further and further down this path until they fit inside the box of who the world has told them who to be instead of living exactly who they are, Dude. right? And there's all these layers of armor and protection hiding who we really are because we now believe based on the nerves of the world that we're not good enough because we don't fit that box, Right. And like it's all very powerful, dude. I, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you, man. I, I just, you, you know, me, if I let you talk too long, I get stuck on stupid because you're very intelligent and I'm just marginally oh. smart. So I, here's the thing. I can relate to all of this because I was a high performing athlete, right? I played division one baseball at LSU. Uh, I, I am a high performance sales professional in the medical device industry all the validation comes from accolades and, you know, 
exploding your quota or hitting 400. And quite honestly, for me growing up, you know, I was picked on a lot. You know, I was chubbier than most kids. I, I think I was a late bloomer. You know, I look at all those dudes that made fun of me because I wasn't as good looking as them. You know, it's kind of reverse now. I'm the handsome one, right? But the bottom line is, the bot and they're all beat up and fat and you they know it's lost cool. Their hair they right? lost their hair and it's just like, <laughs> dude, like Homer come said- on. And I'm like Benjamin Button. I get younger every year. I get crazy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but but the thing that really interests me about all of this is, is I, I had to work so hard to become so good at baseball, in order for people to truly accept me. Because early on, no one gave a shit about me. Everybody thought I was a loser until they saw me throw and hit a baseball. And so the world, like, as you said, will pigeonhole you to where they want to see you. And, and in a sense, right, if, if you if you are a mature individual and you can understand that at an early age and be like, all right, cool, that's how they see me. But fuck, that's not how I see me. Like, I'm cool regardless. That is an interesting skill that you must acquire in adulthood, because like you said. You know, we are, we are thriving on mostly external anchors in what people say about us because of our accomplishments. Well, and the reality is, is we're also, we live in a really toxic shame-based society, right? Dude, and yeah. the word should, by the way, I was giving you all those examples, should is a shame-based word because it implies that yeah. whoever you are, whatever you are, isn't good enough. Yeah. Right. So every time you wake up in the morning and say, I should have worked out this morning, I should have gotten up earlier, I should have packed my stuff, you immediately put yourself into the shame and blame cycle mm-hmm. that's only perpetuated by society, Yeah. right? So you're already in that low frequency energy right out of the gate because you're already shooting all over yourself. And, <laughs> and, it makes, and it makes sense in lots of ways, but it's like, look, some people do find it early. Some people never find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for me, it's, you know, you gave a quick little intro of my story, right? The reality of it is, is like, I used to believe that my arm getting torn off was my transformation story. Mm. It's the story and the trauma that created a bunch of trash. Yeah, of course it is. That I didn't realize for 20 to 25 years later. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. then I had to unpack it. Right. So here's what would happen. I walk out of the hospital. I've got my arm at 90 degrees because the humerus was, it was torn off. Like literally right here is where it came off. Right. right. So reattached, I'm hanging. Right. And my arm is hanging there. It has to be 90 degrees. So the bone will heal. So I've got a teddy bear in between my, my sling and my body. Inevitably, you know, I'm going to get asked, right? Everybody's like, oh, what happened to you? Right? Yeah. Now, they were all expecting me to say, well, I was racing my brother down the street and we crashed our bikes or <laughs> I flew off the jungle gym or whatever. But I'd look at them yeah. deadpan in the eye and I'd say, I was on over by a truck and my left arm was torn off. And I got really used to seeing jaws hit the floor. And then they would pause. 99% of the time they'd pause and they'd turn to look at my parents for validation, which told me what? They didn't believe my truth. Mm. They didn't believe my story. They needed another person to validate my own truth. So at age seven, I remember not feeling seen and understood and not feeling connected. And as a result, I didn't feel safe or protected. Those are the four things we all seek and desire as human beings. We Mm. all wanna feel safe. We all wanna feel protected. We all wanna feel seen and understood. We all wanna feel connected. But the second we protect ourselves because we feel unsafe, we actually guarantee that we'll never be seen and understood and connected. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the other piece of it that I also got put into it was was this, Sean. Those same people and so many others started viewing me 
through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation and immediately limiting me. Well, Brian's never going to be able to do this. Brian's never going to be able to do that. Brian's never going to be able to do these things, right? And pardon my language, but I said, fuck that. Like at yeah. seven, I, those weren't my words, but that was the reaction I had, right? Like, who are you to tell me no, right? Mm -hmm. And so what did I do? I created an intellectual narrative because what did I hear? Mindset. If you've got a strong mindset, if you've got mental toughness, you're going to be okay. And I'll be really, really clear. Again, it's a critical part of the equation. But mindset and mental toughness are often misrepresented because people don't actually understand they're just masking, right? Because mm -hmm. here's what happened. My mental narrative was this. Brian's good. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. Brian can do anything himself. Now, what the world added to it that I didn't and I didn't give him permission to was, oh, and if Brian needs help, he'll ask for it, <laughs> right? right? Fast forward to age 20 and I'm snowboarding. I go down and I re-break my left arm. Same spot it came off at. Almost mm -hmm. lost it. Went 10 months with it hanging by my side. Seven surgeons who were afraid to touch me because of medical malpractice. And at any moment, having the risk of veins or nerves or any of the reconstruction being clipped at any time. I got into a really, really, really deep, dark and depressed state because I was surrounded by people in that time of my life, friends, brotherhood, brothers, like girls, like all over the place. I, I was a very social person, but nobody was there. And here's the thing. I'm not upset with any of them because mm -hmm. they bought into my narrative. Brian's good. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. Brian can do anything himself. But the narrative they added that wasn't going to be my truth is in the most vulnerable period of my life, I didn't have the courage to ask for help. Mm. So I remained alone. I remained disconnected. I remained isolated. And I started to shift towards this concept of understanding, well, mental toughness alone, if the world buys into it, it also has the ability to hurt me, right? What I really did was I buried a lot of trash. I buried a lot of beliefs. I showed up because the world told me not to feel emotion. Right? I pushed through. And every time I pushed through, I pushed that trash down, building more and more pressure up in it. Yet I'm still feeling disconnected. Right? And the reality of it is, is I'll give you one more section of this because it's important to understand the dynamic in the past. So what did I do? I focused on human connection for that next period of my life. Vulnerability and authenticity, which I believe are the glue that, that binds human connection. I got really good at asking questions, got really good at sharing just enough to get other people to lower their walls so that I could enter in and fix all their problems. What I didn't realize unconsciously is I was still avoiding my own, mm. right? And then what did I do? I chased all the what's because that's what the world told me to do, right? I didn't have a model for chasing who. I didn't have a model for chasing human connection. I had a model for chasing external success. So that's what I did. By age 27, I was a partner in a firm that we'd built to over $10 million. And by the time I exited, we'd built it to 15 million within the span of a decade. I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress upon the point. I had mm. everything. I had more money. I had the cars. I had the house. I had the wife. I had new kids. I had all of it. I was a public figure in our society. I had done a lot of philanthropic work. And I think unconsciously what I was doing this whole time when I chased what? Is believing that if I built a life of significance, of scale, of prominence, of admiration, maybe people just want to be around me. Mm. Maybe, maybe they'd want to be in my life. Maybe, I, maybe then I'd be important. But at 27 years old, I woke up and I realized I had all the what's but it cost me who I was, Sean. Dude, this, this, I'm getting goosebumps because, uh, you know, we've gotten to know each other uh, pretty well over the last, you know, seven months or so. I think it's been that long, maybe not that long, but I took that break because that's what was going on with me. I started getting involved in the what's I started comparing my show to others. I started comparing what I was monetarily in this space to what everybody else was saying. 
And to your point, I focus so hard on being mentally tough and just doing the work regardless. So much so that, as you mentioned, it pushed everything down, right? All this trash. And it's like, look at me. I'm doing the work regardless. You know what it got me? It got me a wife second guessing what my priorities were. It got my kids walking in here and feeling rejected because I told them I was recording a show right at this point. If my four-year-old rock walks in here, so be it. She can talk to you too. I don't care anymore, right? You got to give some authentic looks to this world, okay? This is not the only thing I do. It is something I do. And guess what? It's not who I am. It's something, again, that I do. And what happened was I looked around. And I, and I saw my wife and I disagreeing more. I saw me being quick to anger, quick to trigger, and I'm still not perfect. And I, and, and one of these things that I thought I, I, and I said this out loud, I was like, I'm doing this for you guys because I want that life of prominence. I want those things. I think I should have this house. I think that I should be my narrative. Sean. Yeah, bro. And guess what? I wasn't doing it for them. Nope. That's like, dude, and that's that was the paradigm shift for me. It's like, that's when I said, whoa, I'm not recording for two months or however long it is until I'm ready yeah. to get back into it and do it for the right reasons. Now, like, hey, if you listen, you listen, you love it, you love it. Great, yeah. great, great. Reality of it is, dude, my narrative used to literally be I was doing everything for the benefit of my family. Mm-hmm. I've said for a long time that being a husband and father is the most important role to me, but my actions were not always congruent. Yeah. I mean, right. and to give you a little more insight into that. I mean, that was genuinely what it was. What was I doing? I was providing for my family financially. Mm-hmm. I was providing leadership. I was providing physical security. I was providing love. I was providing, you know, connection, energy, fun, all these things. But what's crazy is my wife and I've been married for 17 or been together for 17 years, married for, I uh, shoot, 13, going on 14. Mm-hmm. We hid from each other for 14 years. And my wife and my kids have only felt emotionally safe with me for 18 months. Here's the reality. At 27, I realized that I'd lost who I was and I started to realign myself, but there was still a lot of trash that was buried. And I believe that for every level of pain that we create in our lives, we create a coinciding layer of armor to protect ourselves, right? And what it led to for me was being highly disconnected. I'm laying on the couch with my daughter now at 32 years old and I, She puts her arm around my neck, kisses me on the cheek and says, I love you, daddy. And I start crying like Mm. full blown alligator tears, just dripping out of my face. Mm -hmm. Now I I don't typically cry. And I want to be really clear here. I actually see men who cry as a huge sign of strength. Mm -hmm. I conditioned myself not to cry for so long that I'm still learning how to reconnect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But the reality of it is, is like I'm crying in that moment and realizing that if I'm experiencing joy in this moment, the way that I am, that I've never experienced like this before, that's brought me to pure tears, then every other emotion I've ever experienced is pale in comparison, which meant I wasn't really feeling anything. See, when I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I shut mm-hmm. off intellectual pain, mental pain, emotional pain, and spiritual pain for 20 to 25 years and I didn't realize it. I'd focused that prior 13 years on human connection with vulnerability and authenticity. But guess what? Human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. Yeah, no. The highest performers on this planet are those that understand whether they're hardwired intellectually or emotionally and how to listen to, balance, and regulate between both their intellectual and emotional narratives because both can be true and both can lie to you simultaneously. Mm -hmm. 
but I want to give you this concept of protection because this is something that everybody understands, right? Like, and here, what I want to really help everybody understand is, is like, look, like you can turn your waste into wealth in your life. When we talk about trash, all of your treasures are buried in all that trash pressure. Mm-hmm. The other thing is the trash from your past, 99% of the times is not your fault. It just becomes your responsibility once you become aware of it or you start burying others in your trash. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not your fault. It's generationally patterned and inherited. My wife and I have been able to trace our historical generational patterns of triggers back three generations that we're aware of. And we can see how every group continues to evolve. But it makes sense because guess what happens when you start getting shitted all over in the beginning of your life? Most people at some point in their life distinctly remember the first moment they didn't feel seen and understood. They didn't feel connected. They didn't feel safe, right? What happens when we don't feel safe? We protect ourselves. So Sean, I want you to imagine you know what those 35 gallon trash bags are for outdoor trash cans? Mm-hmm. Big black ones? Yep. Imagine one unfolded right now and, and hold it in front of you. Like literally put your arms out real right, right now and imagine that that bag is in front of you. Okay. That's your armor. You're protecting yourself. Okay. Now I want to ask you with your wife, with your kids, with any of your clients, with any of your prospects, how could you expect them to properly see all of who you are, what you want, your heart, your desires, your intent, your gold, all of the solutions, the way that you interact, your genuine, your ethics, your morals, all of it delivered through an invisible force field. And that's it's also assuming that they're not impossible. carrying their own that's further distorting the message. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible. The it, second it, you protect yourself, you guarantee you will not be seen, understood, and connected. Whenever you protect yourself, you're actually disconnecting yourself. So we teach this concept of, of, of becoming a protector and connector because you can lower your armor in two ways. You can fabricate it and convince yourself that you're safe right now, or you can unpack and process and heal through all the stuff that's causing you to protect. That's the long-term solution that makes you not feel like garbage regularly and consistently. The other one though, you can infiltrate in moments. So what does that mean? Sean, you walk into a room with your family, with your company, with your clients, any of them, it doesn't matter. If you can understand that you are safe and protected, you can lower your own armor exist completely open with a soft front and a strong spine, be vulnerable, be authentic, and be real. And you can wrap a layer of protection around the entire environment that you're in, which guarantees that everyone will be safe. Everyone will be protected. Everyone will be seen and understood and everyone will be connected. As leaders, as men, we have that ability. We have that strength. But most of the time, it's our armor that's protecting our pain that's actually projecting everything and everyone we want away from us. You know, this is almost therapeutic. You know, I'm taking away from it. It is therapeutic because you said, you know, about five minutes ago, you were talking about uh, the first moment that you didn't feel seen, heard, or protected. I can remember that moment. Uh, It was at the dinner table on a Sunday at my grandparents' house. My grandfather told me that I would never play professional baseball. Bingo. There it is. You know, so. Your trigger moments. The trigger moments, man. Uh, and, and, and so that was early on. And, you know, for me, my big trigger moment is when someone tells me I can't do something. I automatically want to show them and, you know, win so big that they suffocate. Again, external anchor has nothing to do with me. Right. And so I, I just want everybody watching and listening to really dive into this because, you know, we are not talking about anything that we haven't gone through or go through on a daily basis to fix. And if you're out there and you're feeling like you're not being seen, heard, then, you know, you need to look into what you have going on. 
yeah. right? And start reconnecting with who you are and the power that you have and sift through that garbage. Let me ask you a question for the audience, because I think this is super important. And, and, you've, and you've asked me this question, and I was super honest with you. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to go back and deal with all of that. So where would you tell them, like the audience listening and watching, what is one of the first things they could do to start going through the trash of their past? Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you, you know, we can, I'll, I'll give you a really high level of like what we call the five pillars of trash. Um, I think it's, it's really, really important. Um, Cause the very first thing that most people question is how do I know if I even have trash from my past? <laughs> you do. Now <laughs> I can tell you flippantly and you can expect my bias that every single one of us and every single one of you has it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. I can also flip a question back to you for you to consider. And Sean, if you're willing to play real time, we can model the how as well as giving some of the, the pillars throughout it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So who was the last person that made you feel like garbage? My dad. How did that feel in your body? Nauseous. Okay. You actually felt the physical symptoms of throwing up. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened that your dad made you feel like garbage. <laughs> All right, audience, here you go. So we were sitting there uh, 4th of July weekend about three years ago. And my cousin, who's an actor, was sitting there saying like, hey, you look great. You've, you've gotten in shape. You're so proud of everything you're doing, your podcast. And my dad, you know, off in the distance, I was saying, look at him. He's still got a little fat on him. Still fat. Hey, boy, still fat. Didn't listen. I heard him. But then it was, how's that little podcast you have going? Anybody listening yet? And, and so for me, it really triggered me Bingo. and to a point where I got physically ill because it was so toxic. And the only thing that I could think of is like, oh, my God, my wife is here meeting this man for the first time. Now she understands me. Now I'm being seen. Now, now she fully knows who I am and why. And then I'm thinking about my kids in the bedroom. Yep. that were there and I grabbed them. I grabbed my wife and I got the fuck out of that house because for me, there was no way I was going to stay in that home any longer for my children to be caught up in that cycle. Yep. And I cut it and I walked out. So that was that, that was a moment, man. I haven't spoken to him since and I won't. Okay. Well, that's something that we'll take offline, by the way, because I've got some <laughs> thoughts I'll, I'll reflect back to you, but, but we'll, we'll it goes much deeper than that, by the way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, I know that. Uh, but thank you for going there and for playing with us. Um, what you just stepped into is two things. It's the first two pillars, okay? The first pillar is awareness and the second pillar is ownership. And what I want to be really clear of is when I say five pillars and I say one, two, three, four, five, they're not linear. It's mm -hmm. more like an infinity that we're constantly cycling back and forth because we're going to be in different processes of this at every time. But awareness is not just becoming more aware of all the ways you should be judging yourselves. Most of the time people raise awareness and they just start literally judging themselves more sure. because of all the whys that perpetually never end to an answer on what to do about it. Awareness is about extracting how you feel the narratives and the lessons tied to your experiences that allow you to see you more clearly. Okay. So what does that mean? In this case, in this situation, one, you're aware that you now have garbage. 
right? You've given two situations where your grandfather didn't make you feel seen and understood, told you you'd never be good enough. And then very clear narratives not long ago from your father that were still that subtle embedded designed to blame and shame and bring you down, mm -hmm. right? Still not seeing and understanding you, right? That trigger right there is for real an area that you've had protection, that you've had armor, that you've had reactions in moments because of where you haven't felt seen and understood and you felt the need to defend in different periods. So you're aware that you've had shame as a part of your life and you've had shame on both sides. You're not worthy and you're not good enough. And hey, when you shut that down, you show up in the arena and you're actually ready to go to battle. It's wait, who do you think you are? What's that nice little podcast you got going on? Are you getting any track? Like, it's the bigger you live, the more you need to feel like you're checking yourself to be approved because it doesn't fit inside their box, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You, awareness is so important because we can't be intentional to what we're unaware of. And I'll tell you that I was blind to most of my stuff for most of my life. I, I didn't realize I was suffering from shame until I was 27 or 28. And I didn't understand how deep my anger, resentment, frustration was until literally 24 to 28 months ago, mm. okay? Here's the crazy part. I was literally blind to it. I was unaware, which meant I couldn't do anything else beyond that. Ownership is owning your role, your responsibility, accepting your part for your issues in life, business, relationships, and health. Blame and shame are off the table though. This is about perspective seeking, okay? So what does that mean? Well, my wife used to say something like this. She'd say, hey, babe, what do you want to do with the kids this weekend? And my shame filter would cause me to hear it this way. Hey, honey, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father this week. So what are you going to do to make up for it this weekend? Mm -hmm. Not what my wife said, but that's yeah. what I heard. Mm -hmm. And that's what I believed I was being attacked on. And I told you being a husband and father is the number one thing for me. So what would happen? I'd feel my heart race. I'd feel my chest start to puff. I'd, I'd feel the heat and the wave run over my body. And then I'd feel the reaction where I'd rattle off the 10 things I've done in the last few days to show her I'm a good husband and father. It wasn't even what she was asking. Right, right. Right, but here's the reality. I have to be able to own that I just created damage in that moment. I have to be able to create repair around the damage that I've created. And I have to own the fact that shame caused me to shrink down in situations that caused me to live smaller. Shame's caused me to react and get bigger and cause anger because it's a secondary emotion to come out right? I have to own the fact that I have allowed that to happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's my fault. Again, it's becoming my responsibility once I'm becoming aware of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was a big shift and I can kind of unpack that a little bit further, but three is unpack. The third pillar is unpack. This is feeling for the purpose of healing, allowing yourself to feel the trash from your past and understand physiologically how that shows up in your body. The point here is to sit in it only long enough until it points you what's important, okay? So what does that mean? Well, did you know that there's over 40,000 cells in the heart called sensory neurites that are brain-like cells? And they've shown and studied that if you go to therapy, for example, and you just intellectually process the perils of your past, the patterns of your past and the trash from your past alone, but you don't actually embody it and have the associated feelings to it to understand where they came from, where the narratives came from and what you can extract in terms of the lessons to move forward, that those 40,000 cells don't actually heal and you'll continue to feel that cellular pain regardless of where you move yourself intellectually. Well, two aren't connected. So, but until we it, dive into I've said that, for years, yeah. you have to feel in order to heal. Yeah, man. I shut off feelings mm. in every area of my body, my emotions, my spirit, and my mind for 20 to 25 years. 
I shut it off. Yeah. Right. So no matter what I was doing up here, no matter what level of success I reached externally, no matter how much money I made, no matter how much I was doing, I still felt disconnected, empty, alone, not seen, not understood, not worthy, not good, not a living in my purpose. So I had to unpack what were the sources, the root or roots of these things. You talked about a couple today, that moment your grandfather sat there. Guess what? That is a source of your shame. It's not the only source, but it is a source. And there are foundational, fundamental beliefs that you've carried through your entire life that have caused moments of reaction that have created damage simply because of that one comment. Right? percent. And so mm-hmm. that's part of ownership as well is when we create damage, we have to create repair. But the unpacked mm-hmm. stage is where we do most of the healing. It's where we start to unpack and dig enough so that we can see where the treasure comes from in that situation as well. Guess what? You got a really damn good element of work ethic. You learned how to create discipline. You learned how to follow a path to reach a high level of success to play division one baseball, right? Which is still statistically a low of percentage of baseball players ever that make it to D1, right? We're not even talking about the pros, but D1 is a small percentage. You learned how to perform at a high level. You learned how to endure adversity. You learned how to push through certain things. But that means that when you get to reconnect to your feeling, you get to have a little bit more softness in your life, more intention, then that treasure is even more powerful in contrast. And so that's what unpacking also does. It allows you to separate the shame and blame from the people, the sources where this has come from, but start to center yourself and how do you move through it? Mm. How do you heal through it, right? And we've got frameworks for helping people do this in each stage. Four is flip the lid though. Okay. This is literally flip the lid and see what's risen to the top. Lay out your trash in the light. What emotions and thoughts are running through you right now? List them out without any attempt to rationalize. Like this is about separating from fight or flight in the moment. Right? So this now is in this position where when my wife says something to me like that, like, Hey, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? And I feel a trigger. Part of flipping the lid is to do this real time. Meaning I know the feeling of reaction. I've spent the time understanding the emotions, the narratives I've paired them. I've understood them. So when I feel the reaction of protection, I know the second that I'm protecting myself, it's because I'm protecting something that I'm unconscious of, or I heard something incorrectly. So I can center myself and say, Hey babe, I just felt triggered by what you said. Do you mind restating it? And I'll try to hear it through a more neutral lens. And if for whatever reason I can't, maybe we can pause this and revisit it later. So we don't have any moments of reaction that are going to create damage for us. I can flip the lid and literally become aware, own and unpack my real time state right in front of me, ensuring I never even create damage. I have the ability to choose and control that in any given moment by taking a breath. Because most of the time when we feel that moment of reaction, it's about pausing in that moment so that we can move. The fifth pillar, I'll run through this one fast and then we'll wrap, but this one is the most important. This, it's gonna take all of the others to get you to here, okay? But this is about knowing how do these emotions and reactions move through your body? How do they move through your world? And how do you move through them? Okay, what does that mean? Well, I used to run a very successful risk management employee benefits consulting business. We worked with a lot of multi-billion dollar companies that had multiple buyers, long sales processes, long situations. I would be responsible for generating it maintaining the relationship, but I would introduce our teams and subject matter experts to deploy what we were doing. But typically I'd be the only one involved in the front of the deal. I can't tell you how many times I'd line up a whole deal. We'd sell it. It was already ours. I bring the team out. I talk fast and I'm loud. If you haven't noticed so far. I love it. Right. But here's the thing. You know how many times in those meetings I was, I was told, Ryan, you can't talk that fast. You can't talk that loud. Not in a corporate environment. Not, not here. No, not in front of that billion dollar client. And my shame, because I wasn't centered in who I was at the time would cause me to bite my tongue, shrink down Mm -hmm. and feel like I wasn't good enough. 
Yeah. Right. Even yeah. though I orchestrated the whole deal and everybody in that room was there because of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But I, but all of a sudden I wasn't good enough. So why is that important? Well, I just told you two different ways that shame and anger move through my body. I react, I get big, I shrink mm-hmm. down, I get small. The reason yeah. I asked you, how did it physiologically feel? You said you were nauseous. Most people label it with a feeling or an emotion. Oh, I feel pressure. I feel heaviness or I feel anxiety. Those are all labels. I want you to physiologically understand what's happening in your body. What's happening with your heart? What's happening with your mind? What's happening? Does your jaw lock up? Do you feel your throat get tense? Do you feel tension in your back? Do you feel your lungs shorten in breath? Do you like get specific because you're disconnecting from your body the second you start labeling. I want you to sit in it long enough to know how does shame or whatever emotion you're dealing with move through your body. Shame oh, moves through my body. I get hot. Like I get shame warm. Moves my body five or six different ways. Mm-hmm. It's important that I know that. Yeah. Right. Anger moves through my body five or six different ways. But once you understand how it moves through your body, then you can understand how it moves through your world. I.e., where do you get triggered? Okay. For me, I have over fifty shame triggers that I'm aware of, and over sixty anger triggers that I'm aware of. Mm. Okay. But what does that mean? It means that when our doorbell rings and my two chihuahuas go insano pants and I get on sensory overload and it puts me on edge that feels like anger that I can separate myself in that moment to move through it and not have a reaction against my son who's on the spectrum or my daughter who's hearing impaired who might jump in my lap and feel that edge and energy that had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with my reaction to the fucking dogs, right? But the reason this is important is until you know how it moves through your body and it moves through your world, you can't catch yourself in the moments where they pattern. Because what's important in that moment is to pause, take a breath and ask yourself two questions. Is what I'm reacting to due to what's right in front of me or the trash from my past? And I'll bet you that 99% of the time it's gonna be the trash from your past. And the second question is, what am I protecting right now? Hmm. You know, it's it's, it's very interesting because my wife is an empath. My, I I mean, extreme. Yeah. Empath um, to where, you know, she talks about, she goes, I, I can see, I, I either see white on somebody, gray energy or black energy. I can, yeah. I, it, my, my four-year-old's the same way. And this right here really rings clear that the energy that they may be feeling is my trash. And That's I don't, exactly I, mean, right. it's, I mean, it's 1000%, right? So while I feel like I'm saying it one way, my energy is saying different. And no wonder you don't feel seen and understood with what you're trying to say. And how come they question my intent? This is what Mm -hmm. I've told them. They're not hearing it. Yeah. They're feeling. They're feeling it. And most people do, by the way. Yeah. And again, it's because of that armor, because what are we, at the second we're protecting ourselves, the second we've got that little bit of edge, that little bit of armor, anytime it will dilute the message of what you're trying to communicate. And again, this is critical in business too, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're talking personal examples, but like if you're feeling like your teams never listen to you, you can't keep teams, you're having leadership and turnover problems. Oh, why doesn't anybody be able to actually implement what I've got? Control issues, turnover, lack of culture, lack of growth, like all of it, I promise you as the leader of a company, comes back to the trash from your past. Mm. Dude, this has been such an impactful conversation and I feel and I know that this is going to be completely on time for my listeners and my viewers uh, because they, they love these types of conversations. And so with that being said, man, like where, how can, 
if my audience is listening, how can they work with you? How can they find you? Like what, what programs do you have? I know you're a coach, a business strategist, a speaker, like, you know, let's get you some speaking events. Let's get you some more people that you can help them pack their trash. How do they find you, man? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's two easy ways. If you're a web person, go to brianbogert.com. Uh, and that'll get you into our world. It doesn't have all the updated information and every single day because we do it somewhat regularly, but you'll get a feel and you'll be able to get in touch with us. If you're on social media, go to at Bogert Brian on any channel, including YouTube. And we put out a lot of free content that's there designed just to help. We've got a number of offers that have zero or very low barrier of entry from a financial perspective for people to enter. And then we have a lot of high ticket stuff and one-to-one and group. Um, we've got a transformational retreat in Arizona that is an all-inclusive three-day literal transference and transformation uh, waste to wealth seminar where we're helping people literally transform in a matter of three days and compress months of healing into days and leave with clarity on where they're going and building. We do these regularly and often. Um, we've got community stuff. And yeah, as a keynote speaker, I love to be able to help people understand why digging through their trash is the best way to connect and convert and growing your life and your business. I mean, that's the reality. Nobody wants to dig into it. Nobody wants to look at it, but it is the singular thing that's going to allow you to stand in your power and potential and actually be able to accomplish and attract all the impact, all the people and everything you desire in your life. And we've got multiple examples of how we unlock that. So yeah, those are some really quick ways. We've got you know a bunch of options. Reach out to us and we'll help you find the right path. Awesome. And, and, and for those of you listening and watching, I, these are going to be in the show notes. You're going to be able to connect with him, but I want to give you a little bit of a... Um, you know, personal experience that I've had with Brian. Uh, he will never make you feel like you have to do something. He will always give you information. He's going to be real with you. And I think you can tell it by this conversation that he's truly out there to help people. So you're not going to run into one of these slimy individuals that just pop into your DMs and force you to do something and make you feel less than or should all over you. And by the way, I, I share that term. Um, you know, I should all over myself all the time, get better at it. Hell, I got to work out in at 7am today and I was excited about it. Didn't give a shit if it was 430 or seven, got it done, man. But, um, you know, guys, I, I would encourage you to reach out to him. I know a lot of you guys that listen and watch my show, reach out to my guests and ask how you can work with them. Uh, I would say y'all double the fuck down on this one, uh, double the fuck down on him because he is the real deal. I love this guy. He's a good friend. And uh, he has everybody's best interest at heart because he's gone through some things as as you've heard that have turned him in to the true individual he is right now. He calls himself the heart surgeon without a blade. And, um, you know, I, I can I can literally, literally see how he could dub himself that. So, Brian, man, I, I love you, dude. And, and I thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I cannot wait for everybody to listen to this and uh, to give their feedback. Cause I know this is probably um, in fact, definitely the most value packed show I've had in a very long time. So many thanks to you, buddy. John, thank you, brother. I love you too. And I'm grateful that you built a platform for me to be able to come pour good into the world. Uh, truly. Uh, I, I appreciate how you edified me and it's not lost on me, my friend, you're good people. And uh, I'm grateful that you're in my life, dude. Always, brother. Until next time, guys, uh, stay safe. Love your people. Be real. Be authentic. And uh, just, just remember one thing also, too. Kindness wins 100% of the time. Chat with y'all soon.